Well, it's so good to see so many of you this morning, and if you're a first-time guest with us, we're so grateful that you're here this morning. I want to make you aware, if you did not know, if you don't track with us on social media, we hope you'll give us a follow, but we're going to be gathering next Sunday night, next Sunday night at our Brentwood campus. We are going to step across the Davidson County line into Williamson County where we can gather in a much larger group than what we currently can outdoors right now in Davidson County, and next Sunday night we're going to have a church family fellowship. The primary goal will be just to see each other and to smile and and to encourage one another. And there are members who cannot be here in the mornings. And so we will gather and some of our friends and family that can't be with us on Sunday will be there. And that's going to be great. So I hope you'll track with us. I hope you'll join us there. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. And if you follow along on your smartphone, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up a copy of the scriptures so that you can look the rest of the week until we gather again in six days. You can look back at the scripture passage to see how God has been teaching you and and what he's calling you to do in response to this text this morning. Uh, While you're turning, one of the things I have grieved as we've tried to be contactless and less touch and contact during the times of COVID is that we're not serving coffee on Sunday mornings. We're not serving coffee on Sunday mornings, but you can certainly bring whatever coffee you want into this place. That is an act of worship to have a good cup of coffee early on Sunday morning to get ready to come into the house of the Lord. These are actually the bags of coffee that are sitting there just waiting to be embraced, waiting in the church office to be utilized. And so that's obviously more coffee than any one human needs. But just to illustrate how much we have had to change things, that you know, I love coffee, and depending upon who you talk to, uh, you'll get varying vantage points on whether or not coffee is good for you or whether or not coffee is bad for you. And it illustrates one of the obvious things about life. It's hard to know what is a trusted source of truth on any number of things. The American Heart Association says that coffee is good and that it gives you energy and may help you lose weight. Yes, please. Coffee is good for your mental focus, and obviously that would be the caffeinated element of coffee. Studies have shown that it can improve your mood. Probably wouldn't be bad for some of us to down a cup in the morning before we go to work, make us more joyful people maybe. That's good. Coffee can lower the risk of type 2 diabetes. The antioxidants help protect your cells from damage. And if you drink it regularly, it can lower the risk of total mortality, including longer longevity in life. That's good news about coffee. For those of us that are addicted to it, yes, we've been armed with some good news this morning. Now, if you were to search, is coffee good for you? There is an article right next to the American Health or the American Heart Association that says this, coffee is bad for you. Coffee leads to this. Coffee can lead to insomnia. Coffee can lead to irritability, rapid heart rate, risk of heartburn or stomach ache. Like, that's so discouraging, right? It also says, though, good news, drinking darker roasted coffee may help lower the effect of stimulating stomach acid production. Okay, so maybe you want to go with the darker roast. But the idea there is that there are just as many places to go that will tell you this is good for you as it is there are bad for you. Many of us are wearing masks here today. There's a lot of articles. There's a lot of discussion on social media. Do these masks work? Some would say yes. Some would say no. My personal contention is if it helps look out for the vulnerable and the immunocompromised among us, it is a loving thing to do for us to wear these. But there's a lot of discussion. What is truth and what's right? And that's why I'm so grateful that Scripture always reveals to us what is right, what is true. In a world where it's hard to know what truth is, the only solid authority that any of us have to know what's right 
is found in God's Word. That's why we prioritize it. That's why we spend so much time on it. And that's why we would read it together now as we come together for worship. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning? We're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. And we're going to read through verse 17. Join me together now. But you have followed my teaching, my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and the sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued from me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14. But as for you, church at Avenue South, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be completely equipped for every good work. In a world where it's hard to know what is right and what is true, the Bible says all scripture is sourced in the character of God the perfect and complete character of God, and is useful for everything. Let's pray together this morning. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to have a warm and safe environment to worship together on a wet, humid, rainy morning. Please don't ever let us take for granted the joy of coming together in corporate worship with one another. We've gathered here to be reminded that you are our God and we are your people. So we pray that you would speak to us in a way that the eyes and ears of our hearts can see and hear what you want us to know this morning, especially for the woman, man, or child in this room who is trying to discern in their life what is the next right decision to be made. What's the right thing to do relationally? What's the right thing to do career-wise? What's the right thing to do health-wise? Help that woman, man, or child find truth that is trusted and sourced in your character. So they leave this place and begin to walk confidently in the joy of not only knowing you, but knowing that you are faithful and good. And we say and pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, let me remind you that we've been walking through the Apostle Paul, a Paul who was a follower of Jesus Christ. We've been walking through his letter to a young pastor named Timothy. Now, he wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament. This is the second letter to Timothy, thus 2 Timothy. He's sharing with him his experience as a follower of Jesus. This is a large journalization. This is what I've learned from following Jesus. This is what you've come to know about following Jesus. In this passage, Paul says, you were taught from an early point in life, from your childhood. You've known the scriptures We saw in the first chapter that Paul referenced Timothy's grandmother and his mother. They were both Jewish. They were followers of God who later placed their faith in Jesus Christ as God's son, as the Messiah. They were Jews who believed in Jesus as the Christ. Timothy's dad was a Greek. The Bible tells us he was a Greek. He did not follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago about how important it is to have godly women in our lives 
These godly women discipled. That means they introduced Timothy at a young age to whom Jesus is. And so Paul says that here. You've known from an early point in your life the scriptures and the truth of scripture. And now Paul wants Timothy to understand how important scripture is. He's a grown man. He's an adult. He wants him to know how important it is when you're making decisions, when you're planning your life, when you're moving forward, whether it's the first century or whether it's 2020 for any of us, making decisions, considering our future, laying out our plans. Paul wants us to know. The Holy Spirit wants us to know. We can trust what God's Word will lead us to do and the next steps to take. And so Paul says to him here, look in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. There he is. You know those, Lois and Eunice, your mother and your grandmother, who have taught you. These are trusted voices in your life. Every one of us in this room need to surround ourselves with people that will tell us the truth. Sometimes people that love you will tell you the truth even when it stings, even when it hurts. We get ourselves into trouble when we surround ourselves with people that just tell us what we want to hear. Lois and Eunice were women who loved God and they loved Timothy and they would tell him the truth. He says, you've known these people. They've modeled for you. They've passed on scripture to you since infancy in verse 15. He says, you've known the sacred scriptures. Keep reading with me in verse 15, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, you've known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of scripture is to point us towards the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Thereby, we can place our faith in him and receive salvation from him. It's the whole point of scripture. That's the primary purpose of it. Listen, for those of us who are Jesus followers, we, we don't have it all figured out. We don't know how much of 2020, the remainder of it, as uncertain as it is, is going to unfold. And we're certainly not perfect. But what we do know is that meeting Jesus and being redeemed and restored, there are parts of our stories we can't fix, we can't redeem, they're broken, we're busted, we're flawed. And when we met Jesus, it was his perfection, it was his completeness that became our righteousness. He's given us those things by us placing our faith in him. And he's not only given us his righteous reputation so that we can start over, so that we can begin again, but we have eternal life, salvation in Jesus Christ. It has the ability to change the trajectory of the rest of your life here, but your eternal destiny. After this life, we will live forever either with God in a literal place called heaven or separated from him forever in a literal place called hell. The Bible tells us that God wants us to be with him. All he's ever wanted is a people he can be in relationship with. And so that's why we ask our life groups to read the Bible. That's why we ask our Bible reading groups to read the Bible. That's why we ask our mentors in mentor relationships to use the Bible as the main focus point of discussion when we meet and when we talk. The most loving thing a church can do for people is to tell them about the person of Jesus Christ so that their lives can be changed and transformed in a way that ours have. We want to give that away. We want to share with others. Paul says that's the focus of Scripture. But all Scripture is God-breathed. Look at what he says in verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. Your translation may say, it is God-breathed. Now here's what this means. Because it's inspired by God, it means it's sourced from Him. It's brought about by Him. Scripture is the ultimate source of truth because it's sourced in the perfect character of God. Scripture is the ultimate trusted source of truth because it is sourced in the character, the completeness, 
and the reputation of God who in great ways is so other than us. None of us need to be told there are parts of our lives that we can't hold together. We're not perfect. We feel jaded or flawed. I love that God is the antonym of us in that he is perfect. He's complete. He's whole. And so therefore, when he speaks and when he inspired human authors to record and write scripture by the power of his Holy Spirit and then to provide it to us literally through written word and also through the apps on our phone, what a great way to restore and use technology for the advancement of hope and encouragement. The Bible tells us that we can read it and we can trust it and we can know what is good and what is right. And so Paul says scripture is rooted in the source of God's character and it's so important to know that we can trust him. I mean, how many of us, we struggle to know what's right because our trust has been broken so many times in our lives. One of the things I try to do is I try to pick the kids up from school as often as I can. These are really long, long days as a parent, but they're really short years. And people used to say, you're going to blink and your kids are going to go off to college. I'm like, whatever, man. It's like bottles and diapers, and then it's like feeding, and then it's like trying to figure out hot dogs or Chick-fil-A tonight. Like this, The struggle is real, y'all. It's like this is difficult. This is hard. And you pause and you look up and your kids are 15 and they're 13 and they're 8 and it's flying by. And so one of the things I'm trying to do to reclaim some of those moments is conversations in the car. And one of the things I've noticed is every time I'm on time, every time I'm on time to pick them up at school, they're never out there. They're either talking to a teacher about, hey, I need a little help with this subject or I couldn't find my lunchbox or I was talking with my friend. I'm so sorry I lost track of time. But here's the deal. Anytime I'm not on time, anytime I'm not on time. I get a text or a phone call, where are you? I'm out here, where are you? I'm out here, like, where are you? Like, we're, we're totally out here waiting on you, where are you? And I feel like the worst failure is a dad. Not on time, I'm not there. It never fails that on those few times where I'm not right there when they come out. Now, the reason that matters to me is not just because I, I feel guilty about it, like, I'm trying to get there, but, like, I want them to know when I tell you what I'm going to do, you can trust me. And how important is that? We talk to our kids about, like, I need to know that I can trust you. I need to know that you won't take my keys and put them in the electrical socket and shock yourself. I need to know I can trust you. My son is going to get his learner's permit this next week. Holy smokes. I need to know that I can trust you when I give you this several-ton vehicle, that it's not just putting gas in it and it goes. I need to know that I can trust you. But how much more important is it for our children to know that they can trust us right now at those early years of their life? I want them to know you can trust me so that when I tell you something, you can believe it. I mean, we crave that, right? We want to know that people, when they tell us something, will do what they say. The reason that God reveals his truth to us in Scripture is that time and time again, he shows us his will for us, and it's trusted. It's timely. It's applicable. And God is perfect. He doesn't know how to fail. And that's why he tells us to read his word, to sink the roots of our life down deep into our word. And the Bible tells us it's useful every time you open it. Every time you open it, Paul rattles off a few things. Look in verse 16. It's useful for teaching. Like it'll advance knowledge of what's good and wholesome and healthy for your life. It will rebuke. It will show you your error. None of us really enjoy that word probably. But it'll show you and reveal any sin sickness that keeps you from growing in closeness to God. And also, it can correct, it can restore you when you've erred. It can set you back on the right path. You can find forgiveness and peace and the ability to be content 
And rest at night knowing the world may be swirling around you. There may be details of your life that are unsettled, but God is good and he loves his people and he will never leave or forsake us. And that is like a soft pillow and a warm blanket in times of turmoil and strife. Paul says every time you open it, there's something new that happens. He says scripture literally in verse 17 will equip you for every good work. It will equip you for every good work. And the, the, the word phrase in the Greek is like furnishing a home. It'll furnish your life with what you need for whatever you're going to face. Now listen, we think this is a wonderful facility. We're grateful for it. But I bet you're enjoying that we have chairs in this room this morning. Right? And, and I'm grateful that we have the, these mic stands and tables and other resources here to furnish this room. We intuitively know that a, a room is not a room, a house is not a home, a building's not a building unless it's furnished. There's a place to sit, there's a place to get settled, right? Paul may be illustrating that for many of us, we know Christ, but our life is not furnished. We're not equipped for the decisions we're praying about and the things we're thinking about in our life because we haven't allowed Scripture to do that for us. Let me give you an example of how Scripture can furnish. It can equip you for every good work. Let me just give you a practical example. Uh, this is the devotional I use in the mornings. It's by Paul David Tripp, and it's called New Morning Mercies. I don't know how many of you use it. Paul David Tripp is a great Christian author and writer. Um, if you do not have this, this would be a good start for you in the morning to kind of warm your heart and get going. And so I read this morning, but also, listen, no judgment. I peeked ahead to tomorrow. I hope that's okay. I hope the Lord doesn't think I'm cheating by jumping ahead to September 14th, but I did, okay? And I looked ahead to September 14th, and it starts off by saying this. So imagine reading this at like 530 in the morning or 6 to start your day. It's a fact that we all have to face. None of us has ever had a relationship in our lives, not even one, that has been free of disappointment. None of us has realized our relational dreams. So we have to ask, why are our relationships such a struggle? And why do we have to strive to live in peace and harmony with those whom we say we love? And why are so many of our relationships in the world and in life marked by such conflict? And why do we experience such irritation, hurt, and impatience? Now hold that thought for just a minute. Last weekend, I had the privilege of officiating the wedding for a couple from the church at Avenue South, and I can remember talking with them about their vows before they exchanged vows, and one of the things I told them is, now, when you exchange vows with one another, less is more. Less is more. Don't worry about having these ornate, movie-type, Hallmark Channel vows that, that sound awesome and look good on the video, but you can't remember what you promised each other, Right? I said, less is more, because here's what you're doing. You're saying, like, I'm asking God to hold me accountable to what I'm telling you right now. That kind of is a weighty thing, right? It's like, whoa, that's kind of big. That's heavy. You're saying, God, hold me accountable. I will love you in sickness and health. I will love you for richer or poor. I will love you, like, right? I will serve you. You're promising these things, and you're saying, I'm, I'm asking Jesus to hold me accountable to these things. But let me tell you what you're also doing. So don't put too much pressure on yourself. You're asking Jesus to help you fulfill these. Because as awesome as y'all are, and this is an incredible couple here at our church, I said, you're not that good. I'm not that good. You're not that. We're not, like, we can't do this. Like, I will love you and serve you. We, we talked about a couple this morning celebrating 50 years of marriage. I will love you and serve you for five decades. That's hard, right? Can I say that? Like, that's hard, right? We are selfish in the core of our flesh. And on that wedding day, it sounds great, but you wake up like six months later, six years later, 16 years later, maybe 60 years later, and you're like, I'm going to have to choose to love my spouse today. It doesn't feel warm and fuzzy today. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can serve, like sickness and in health, better or for poor, 
right? What you're also saying is, Lord, I need you to help me fulfill these. I can't do these on my own. So you're saying, I surrender to you. I ask you to help me accomplish these things. So you've probably also heard 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, right? Right? Some of you are not, yeah, we know that. Some of you are like, I could quote it. Please don't read it to me. Hang on. This is your day. I'm going to read it to you, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, often referred to as the chapter about love. Okay, verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. And this is often read right before or after couples exchange vows. Love is not rude. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not self-seeking. It, is not, it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. Yes! It's awesome, and it sounds great in a wedding. But here's what I've learned. None of us can summon this on our own, and it's not just in marriage. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about, Scripture says, Ephesians 6, honor your father and your mother. I want you to think about how hard and how difficult that is. Think about getting along with siblings, right? Think about getting along with siblings. Think about getting along with coworkers. None of us are this good on our own solely. So let me just suggest something to you that I tell every couple that wants me to read this or reference this passage in Scripture. If God is love... And he is the exact representation, if Jesus is the exact representation of God, whose very character and essence and nature is love, an unconditional agape, no strings attached love, I'm all in with my love for you and for humanity. Let's substitute the name of Jesus and reread that, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not arrogant. Man, this Jesus guy is pretty cool. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not irritable. Oh my gosh, I'm suddenly really aware. If I weren't already, I ain't even anywhere close to who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Anybody ever been guilty of keeping score in a relationship? Hello, I'm guilty. Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Jesus finds no joy in unrighteousness, but Jesus rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures through all things. Jesus never ends. Yay, God, Jesus is so much better than me, and if that's all I got today, you're worthy of that praise. I love Jesus for who he is and his character. And so when I read a passage like this, I think to myself, I can't thrive and flourish when relationships are hard, when irritation and conflict is swirling. I can't do it unless I have Jesus working in and through me to help me love and serve and bless and encourage. Not just a spouse, but my sister. Not just my sister, but my parents. Not just my family, but my coworkers here at the church. Not just my coworkers, but the neighbors, these beautiful, creative people in the shops and restaurants up and down 8th Avenue South. I can't love them and serve them as God's called me to as a follower of Jesus without him working in and through me. I'm just reading scripture, and he's making me aware that he's God and I'm not. But if I will be dependent on him, and I will let him inside out produce these things in me, He will help me to flourish. My relationships will be healthier. They have a better chance of flourishing when they're rooted in the truth of Scripture, which points us to the sufficiency and the sovereignty of God that's been demonstrated to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so back to Paul David Tripp. I went ahead and finished the devotional. I almost gave up when he's like, relationships are hard, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't need this at 530 in the morning. But I kept reading. It says, the hope for your relationships is not to be found in you or in the others in those relationships. Hope is found in a third person who has invaded your relationships by his grace. You're never alone in your relationships. He's with you. He's in you. He's for you. He offers you grace that is up to the task. 
even when you're not. And I just said this morning, praise God. Praise God for Jesus Christ, because without him I'm sunk. And I don't know what's right, and I don't know what's good. But praise God that Scripture reveals to me that Jesus is sufficient for all things. The illustration there is just marriage. It's relationships, right? And at the core, what it means to be human is we're created for relationship. So that is a practical example in 2020 of how all Scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, for correcting, for training, for equipping us for every good work God calls us to. Paul says you've known the Scripture, and in a world where it's hard to know what's right and what's true, Scripture is authoritative. There are no errors in Scripture because God is perfect. It can be trusted time and time again. That's why we read it. That's why we encourage you, like I did a few moments ago, to open your Bible so that this week you can look back in it yourself and feast on it and be fed by it and be nourished by it. Scripture will thoroughly equip you for whatever you face. Now, here's a guess I have. I've been guilty of this. I have, I have a guess about many of us potentially as followers of Jesus. Because when we gather, we're gathering as the people of God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, online or here in the room, we're so grateful that you're here. We want God's best for you. But as a follower of Jesus, let me ask you something. Have you sought what he wants for the next decision, the next choice, the next relationship, the next career? Have you sought Scripture's counsel about what you're supposed to do? Have you asked him about it? Have you gone to scripture to read about it to say, what is it that you would have me do? How would you have me respond? One of the great things about coming together is that God brings us to a point where he lets us know, I'm good. You can trust me. I've revealed everything you need to know in this book right here. And that's why we teach it. That's why we prioritize it. That's why we stand in honor of it. It's holy. It's awesome. It's incredible. And it points us towards the one who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Whether that's salvation, whether that is giving us the confidence of how to discern truth, and how to live confidently in an uncertain world. So here's what I want to do in response. And one of the reasons we've moved, one of the reasons we have moved the, the sermon to the beginning of the service, a little bit more rather than later, which is our normal rhythm, is to give us time to respond to what God's calling us to and inviting us in response to this text. And so over just the next couple of minutes, I want to encourage you, if it helps you to eliminate distraction by bowing your head and closing your eyes, 